0: Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors
1: Podcast, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Berg.
2: I'm Burns. And I'm Vicar.
1: So we are without Pastor Bullhagen today. He is on vacation. He is probably shirtless somewhere in the wilds of Florida, so... I feel bad for all of those Florida nights that uh, have to see that. but I
3: I actually received a picture from him uh, the other day uh, that was just him posing in front of a Taco Bell, uh, what's it called, a cantina? Okay. (laughs) Which is a Taco Bell that also is a bar. Ooh. And uh, he he got himself a uh, frozen Baja Blast with tequila.
1: Okay. Which is... Of course, he which, did. So guess, which is yeah. a girly drink.
3: <laughs> well, you know, Baja Blast, and then he's big into tequila lately, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds.
1: Kind of like the Hannah. That Montana was one of the things on his drinks.
3: That's <laughs> <laughs> one of the things on his top twelve was to uh, try more tequilas. So, well, I and I'm,
1: I apologize, Peter. I should have introduced you. So Peter's here too. Hey, Pete. So, so they told me to find a friend. That either, uh, whose last name either started with a B or had a name that sounded like it was out of Canterbury Tales. And so you were the closest, uh, you were the closest one uh, that I could think of. So you're welcome. Well,
0: thank you. Yeah, I think. So,
1: uh, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, nothing really new to report. Things are good. Life Mm -hmm. is great. Living the dream, as you would say.
1: Making the millions. Making the
0: millions. Yeah. Rolling in it, you know. You got
1: that nice uh, view out of, out, out your, uh, your back door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, in and, Ventura.
0: And unfortunately we have a, a, a clearer view going out the front door now. They just took down our shade tree yesterday. So that was the big excitement in Ventura. Okay. Cutting trees down. So now our house is really hot,
1: but whatever. What do you do? That's the way the cookie crumbles. That's right. And speaking of hot, uh, what is the text for today, Vicar? It's
2: an interesting transition, but yeah. Uh, we're on Trinity four, correct?
1: Yeah, uh, we... Three. Three? Well, Trinity 4 will be this recording, uh, so yes. the, but, for the 27th. Which is why
2: I asked. Make sure I remembered which. So that should be Luke 6, 36 to 42. Yeah.
1: All right, start at verse 37.
2: Yeah, yeah that's that's the best place to start. Like I said, hot. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I see why. I see why. Uh, so verse 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable: Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but every one, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother? Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye.
1: All right, and since this episode is all about preaching, uh, we kind of, uh, all of our ideas kind of came together for that, uh, this behooves us then to talk about this uh, very hot, very uh, misunderstood text. So, Burns, please take us away. Um,
0: first of all, this, this text is, uh, so often taken out of context, uh, judge not lest you be judged. I mean, that, that oftentimes is thrown, uh, thrown at those who are, uh, simply speaking truth, right? I mean, we, we live in a day and age where, um, uh, sin is just readily accepted and, uh, and celebrated, um, and, uh, folks are proud in that sin. And, and if, uh, uh, when that sin is called out, um, what's the response? Judge not, lest ye be judged, right? Um, you know, uh, you, you've got a log in your eye. How dare you try to pick the, the, the speck out of someone else's eye? Uh, and, and yet, uh, that's the, J- Jesus isn't saying that we can't call sin on the carpet at all. Um, that, that's a, an absolute uh, abuse of this text. Um, and uh, uh, it, and becomes an excuse then to continue in sin. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, you've dealt it. You've dealt with this text a little more in in the spiritual jurisdiction because I mean we've all had members that have come up to us and said, "Oh, judge not." Sure. Um, do you see any uh, political or uh, secular instances where this text, wh- where this text might have been used, abused, or forgotten? Um, one way that uh, I think that this text can especially be applied is in the modern court cases. For, uh, for example, for the police officers who um, were involved in the death of George Floyd, for example. Uh, what was going on on social media and the like? People were judging, even though they actually had no right to right. judge this case. Sure, um, They were condemning police officers or praising police officers, one way or the other. And this is the act of judging. Um, and this is something that this text absolutely forbids. And uh, this this text just really beautifully coincides with the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I I thought that uh, a a reading from the large catechism might actually kind of get us going on this. To avoid this vice, therefore, we should note that none has the right to judge and reprove a neighbor publicly, even after having seen a sin committed, unless authorized to judge and reprove. There is a very great difference between judging sin and having knowledge of sin. You may certainly know about a sin, but you should not judge it. I may certainly see and hear that my neighbor sins, but I have no command to tell others about it. If I were to interfere and pass judgment on him, I would fall into a sin greater than that of my neighbor. When you become aware of a sin, however, do nothing but turn your ears into a tomb and bury it until you are appointed a judge and are authorized to administer punishment by virtue of your office. Those who are not content just to know... But Rush Ahead and Judge are called backbiters. Learning a bit of gossip about someone else, they spread it into every corner, relishing and delighting in the chance to stir up someone else's dirt like pigs that roll in manure and root around in it with their snouts. This is nothing else than usurping God's judgment in office and pronouncing the severest kind of verdict or sentence. For the harshest verdict a judge can pronounce is to declare someone a thief, a murderer, a traitor, etc., Therefore, those who venture to accuse their neighbor of such guilt assume as much authority as the emperor and all rulers. For though you do not wield the sword, you use your venomous tongue to bring disgrace and harm upon your neighbor. And, so, and then it goes on here uh, to talk about um, uh, who can judge. Exception is made, however, of civil magistrates, preachers, and fathers, and mothers, in order that we may interpret this commandment in such a way that evil does not go unpunished. We see that the fifth commandment forbids us to injure anyone physically, and yet an exception is made of the hangman. By virtue of his office, he does not do his neighbor good, but only harm and evil. Yet he does not sin against God's commandment, because God of his own accord instituted that office, and, as he warns in the first commandment, he has reserved to himself the right of punishment. Likewise, although no one personally has the right to judge and condemn anyone— Yet if they are commanded to do so and fail to do it, they sin as much as those who take the law into their own hands apart from any office. So I think there are really two issues here that we can talk about uh, with this text, where here Jesus is primarily talking to private individuals. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Um, And we see that a lot of private individuals have taken it into their hands to judge a lot of things these days, whether it be uh, our doctrinal stance, uh, mask use, vaccines, um, the court cases of George Floyd, and the like. People are here are judging where they have no office to judge. On the other hand, we've all heard fathers and pastors say things like, "Well, I can't say anything to my kid because I did the same thing. This uh, verse here doesn't apply to those who are in an office, like a father. So let's say a father and a mother, Uh, fornicated before marriage, and they repented of it and the like, and now their kids are doing the same thing. And they feel guilty. They feel guilty about saying anything because then they feel like they're hypocrites. And the thing that they need to be reminded of is that their office, they're speaking according to their office and not according to their person. According to the person, we have no right to judge anybody of their sins because we are sinners. We all deserve eternal death and condemnation. But according to your office you not only should speak you are morally obligated by God to speak the truth and to condemn sin even if as a private person you participated in the same sin when you were younger and if you don't do that you're actually sinning uh, just as much and even more than the person who committed said sin So do you think
3: that can be a, you think that can be a problem nowadays where people don't think of uh, positions like that as an office. Right. And that people do not maybe separate the difference between the office and the person.
1: Exactly. And we see this today. I think this has been a huge uh, issue, right? Especially in our political arena. Um, think of the disrespect that was shown to our our former president, President Trump, uh, even in the way that they referred to him, just simply as Trump or Biden. And this is one thing that... I, you know, to get into another issue uh, is the media, right? The media uh, has used their, and whether wittingly or unwittingly, they've used their medium in order, uh, they've used their medium in such a way that every political leader has become a celebrity, where it really is based on the force of their personality. Um, this is why, for example, um, those who listened to the Kennedy and Nixon debates, those who listen to the radio said that Nixon won. But those who watch the TV said that Kennedy won. Uh, The medium actually did change uh, the message and did actually influence hearts and minds. Um, And this is why, as Lutherans, we really have to preach about the offices, the three estates. What are the three estates? Mothers and fathers, pastors and the civil magistrates. And they have been given a command by God to do particular things. And when they are acting according to their office— they are standing in the place of God. They are actually God's representatives. God punishes through them. God rules through them. God feeds through them. Um, and I mean, this is why, as pastors, um, we try to um, maybe take our personality as much out of it as possible. And because we, in a sense, are interchangeable. You know, you—you've been—you wore your clerical collar today, which is awesome. And you do that because you are in an office, right? Just like a police officer, right? And and I think you know, as pastors, then
0: um, you know, I think I think the uh, the, the uniform helps to uh, uh, remind ourselves of that, uh, and as well as as others that, like you said, try to take our personality out of it, that it doesn't become about me, uh, but about what is. To be preached, right? That it's that mm-hmm. it's about Christ, and on the other hand, or along with that rather, um, comes then I think our responsibility to hold up, uh, as you said, the the office of father and mother. That um, that you know, especially in dealing with uh, with with the youth, um, that we continually um, hold up their parents as their authorities. To listen to and to obey, uh, and so forth. I mean, you know, Luther even goes so far as to say, even you know, when when parents go too far, um, children still have the duty to honor them. Right? That that honor right. is honor is even something greater than love here. That we're called to to love our neighbor, but to honor uh, our, our authorities, right, and to give them deference. And I think uh, in the church, you're absolutely right. We need to do a, a, a have a more emphasis um, on holding up those those estates. Holding up that the office, I think, especially of parents. Parents have, have been absolutely pushed to um, push to the, the the margins here. I mean, you look at what's going on um, in in our public schools, um, and uh, with all the the issues with the uh, critical race theory, and obviously there's further issues there. But I mean, uh, you know, when when parents are standing up and saying no, this this should not be taught, you know, they're being the ones who are being maligned. Um, as uh, as out of touch and so forth, and and we've we've come to a point in our society where uh, we assume that um, you know schools or or whatever our governments even uh, have more authority than our parents, and I think you know that's absolutely wrong. Um, that that our parents are the uh, are, are the authority there from which these other places derive their their authorities.
1: Right, and so that's the thing that I would encourage all the, all parents. Um, take up your authority. Right. Use your authority um, because God has actually given you a huge blessing. I mean, you are like God to your children.
0: Yeah. My wife and I talk about this a lot, you know, when it, when it comes to especially, um, you know, our decision for her to, um, to be a stay at home mom, that, you know, the, the, the quote unquote stay at home mom, um, that, you know, if, if she had a, an, another job, she would be important in some aspect. But to our children, she is the world, right? Yes. She is she is the most important person in their lives, um, and and not just from a you know uh, she cooks the meals and all of these things, but I mean that's an aspect to it, right? That that um, they they need her um, to to be there and to and to raise them, right? That she is not interchangeable with someone else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and she does a stellar
1: job. I just want to say that. Yes, our wives are much better than we are. Absolutely. Which is the truth. All right. So that's the, the first uh, part of this verse, right? What What about the next part? Jesus tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And then he talks about a disciple, teacher, that sort of thing. So how does this flow from what's come before
0: are you looking at me? You looked
1: at Vicar. I I'm, thought you were looking at yeah, Vicar. I'm looking at anybody. Okay. I just want an answer, something okay. to riff off of. <laughs> I'd look at Peter, too, but, you know.
3: Peter's half asleep.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Here, once again, Jesus transitions with this parable in order to get them into the mindset of, if you are, if you are judging apart from your office, if you have made your own morality the yardstick, you are blind, and you are going to lead people into uh, a pit, into hell. Right. Uh, this follows from because this is what everyone is actually doing. Everybody in verses 37 through 39 become a Batman. They become a vigilante. They uh, they they actually step outside the established orders that God has created, and they uh, pronounce judgment without any authority to do so. That's why I hate Batman, and, by and, the way. And
0: when the authorities then actually speak, then they're outside, you know, rejecting that authority. And and, and uh, as we saw right in Minneapolis, you know, you take this back to the political, mm-hmm. right, um, that uh, justice is being defined in one way. And so justice gets taken into the hands of other people. And we have rioting and looting and further um, further sin, right? right? But,
1: but mostly peaceful protests, right? right. Correct, right, right. <laughs> Fires
0: and, you know. Smashed but, windows, things.
1: But that's the thing. When when your own sense of justice is your yardstick, you are right. blind. And this is the part. This is the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are leading uh, those that they have taught into a pit. Yeah. And the whole point of this is that you need a different teacher, right? And a disciple, a student, is not above his teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. That is, everyone who listens to Jesus, everyone who is trained by Jesus, will be like him. But this is also true of the world. If you are a student of the world, if you are a student of critical race theory or of postmodernism, you will be like your teachers. And that is uh, a horrifying thought. And then Jesus brings it back, of course, to sin, right? And he uses a very uh, vivid image here of teaching about sin. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of, take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Um, which is a very fantastic image. Um, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that out of your brother's eye, right? It's funny how they don't just tell you to take the log out of your own eye, but you're actually there to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right. Right. I mean, this goes back, uh, to, um, to the psalm, right? Then, you know, David goes on and talks about, you know, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit right. within me. Uh, then it goes on to, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall come to you.
0: And I think getting back to, you know, uh, the, the spiritual side that, that um, you know, we started talking about with this text, right? That uh, judge not lest, lest you be judged. Um, that, that, you know, we begin by, by judging ourselves uh, and repenting, Taking the, taking the log out of our own eye, um, which then – we then have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, you know, who who may be in error, who have fallen into uh, some sort of temptation to actually uh, – to actually uh, speak the word to them and and call them to repentance that they also be forgiven right I mean that uh, that, that that we do have a responsibility to speak or going back to to, to fathers uh, as as you aptly said right that that even as a, as a father my my sins do not then um, uh, release me from my responsibility um, to call my children to repentance where there is error right that, that right. that's the actual that's the actual flow of it. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: I was thinking about how I'd preach this sermon uh, about uh, ju- you know right judgment and uh, what came to mind was uh, the Old Testament uh, history of, of Eli and Hannah. Uh, here's a man who judged when he shouldn't have been judging um, and he accuses her of being drunk um, and it, it's very shameful in that regard um, because he definitely has his uh, his own sins right? um and it's interesting too how he raises Samuel better than he raises his own blood children right actually Eli would be a great study in this text uh and how this does actually work out in the Old Testament because Eli doesn't exercise judgment when he should with his sons but when they are not his children like Samuel or or uh a woman who's Actually, in the midst of great grief and distress, uh, he really pounces hard on her. Um, Great grief
0: and distress, and she's in the midst of praying.
1: Right. Right? (laughs) So (laughs) she's actually doing a godly thing. Right. And and it's uh, misconstrued as drunkenness. Right. And so this is a beautiful thing about the Old Testament and the one-year lectionary, because as we keep coming round and round to these different texts— uh, you can find different examples in the Bible of what does judge not look like? What does uh, you know who is except you know who is uh, an exception to this uh, and the like? So, speaking of um, preaching this text, uh, let's move on to our top twelve. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense! It's time for Bergs' top twelve. So our top twelve here is on preaching. Um, we tried to organize this whole thing around uh, the preaching because that's what Burns has been reading, um, and we'll be getting to that later on in the show. So this is uh, my top twelve list, and I stole a lot from uh, one of our ancestors, C.F.W. Walter, uh, in order to you know how to improve preaching. I don't think he's going to care that you stole it from him. I, I don't I think, think he's so going to either. Him. There is no copyright when it comes to the church. That's right. Take that, Publishing House. <laughs> Who I won't name by name. <laughs> Except that you did. I, I didn't. I just said Publishing House. So, all right, number 12. Number 12. Read good nonfiction authors. Now, why why would I say something like this?
0: That's actually going to lead into uh, one of the, the things that uh, one of the books we're going to talk about, um, uh Emphasizes right um, uh, to to actually read uh, things that are that are literarily that are good literature right uh, and uh, to learn how to speak how to to actually proclaim something how to um, uh, say something intelligent and clear and and so forth right I mean um, there's a lot to uh, to learn from and
1: to and to grow from right. So who is your, uh, who would, who do you read for like a nonfiction author? Who do you, who do you read to kind of get your, get your uh, mind all limbered up?
0: Uh, to be honest with you, I don't do enough of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, th- and this is, this is one of the reasons actually why I've been, why I've been reading what I have been reading, right, is, um, because this has been kind of a downfall for, for myself, um, uh, you know, um, most most recently, now this is not answering your question, but uh, uh, Les Miserables is, is uh, you know, the, the most recent uh, book that I've been working through. Um, obviously, that's not nonfiction, but...
1: Uh, hey, that actually gets us to number 11. Number 11. Read good fiction. There you go. <laughs> so it's not just enough to read uh, nonfiction authors, who we should be reading, guys like maybe Johnson or Addison. um Ambrose Bierce, for example, uh, Mark Twain, all of these guys are great essayists. Their, their use of the English language is very commendable. But I think it's also very important for us to read uh, good fiction as well. And are there any good fiction books besides uh, Les Miserables, which is really interesting, right? Um, the way that the bishop is portrayed in that book uh, seems really, really nice until, like, but there's no gospel in any of it. Right. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gerval? Uh, yeah, yeah. Javert. Yeah, yeah. Javert. Yeah. Uh, he is really a great embodiment of what the law is. Yeah. Um, and it ends up destroying him. Right. Um, so any other not, uh, fiction books? Victor, you're kind of young and with it, so.
2: <laughs> I mean, most of, most of the shelf I have that's fiction is either Star Wars or an alternate history series that I found by a, a history uh, teacher named Taylor Anderson. Okay. I'm not sure it necessarily helps in my forming of a sermon, but it is good entertainment. There's probably probably in terms of thinking, you know, the the help and inspiration for here's how you wrestle with the English language, the newest that I've read would be uh, stuff by Tom Clancy. Okay. His way of shaping, you know, a narrative is extremely detailed mm-hmm. and how he's able to bring everything together,
1: which is something that like for a sermon or a study is really useful. Right. Uh, storytelling is such an important part of of preaching. It's a very different form that I don't think uh, many of us are actually comfortable with. So uh, we'll move on to number ten. Number ten. Read poetry. Why should we read poetry?
2: Well, kind of, kind of going back to the same thing with the, the storytelling, the narrative style. It's you know, if we look at Psalms and how that points to. You know, to God, to Christ, particularly. You know, you've got so few words, and it's so vivid, and po- that's what poetry's so good at: mm-hmm. being able to, in maybe only five or six sentences, say what you know anyone else might struggle for fifty pages to say. Mm-hmm. Any right. favorite it, poems? It, it
0: really, it really puts things, uh, m- p- makes you put things uh, uh, concisely. Pres- you know, to be precise in 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 your language and. Uh, you know, to to, to learn to, to
1: speak a turn of phrase and vivid right? as well, and vivid, right? Absolutely, yeah. So you talked about the Psalms and like forty percent of the Bible is actually poetry, yeah. Uh, which is something that I think we forget about, and so it's probably a good thing for us to be familiar with, you know, poetic uh, language, imagery, even the ambiguity of uh, of uh, uh, poet of of poet of poetry.
0: And and you know, reading reading poetry. Um, can help to make us more comfortable reading the poetry of scripture, right? Um, because I think, you know, especially bring up the Psalms, um, you know, doing a study in, in Proverbs right now, our Sunday morning Bible study, I mean, it's, it, it's very different than reading narratives, right? And, and I'll be honest, I'm much more comfortable reading a narrative, um, you know, um, but to, to, to read poetry, I think, can, can help you to break out of that, uh, get a little more comfortable reading that.
1: And where do we, where do we experience poetry uh, on a weekly basis?
0: Are you thinking as far as in, in the divine service? I yeah. mean, Okay, so you know the the psalms, the intro, the gradual, um, but also then the hymnody uh, we, of the yeah. church, and and um, you know, and I, I think you know we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to hymnody uh, in in the Lutheran Church, right? Um, and uh, you know, I think we need to become much more comfortable with our psalms, and I think um, we've seen it. I'm sure, Vicar, you've seen it now, especially in this last year. The use of hymnody uh, in um, pastoral care, on the deathbed, um, you know, in in times of of sorrow, in times of joy, um, we have uh, we have some of the the, the best imagery uh, and 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 comfort and proclamation of the gospel comes from our hymnody, mm-hmm. well, so as favorite hymns. Yeah. Lord, Thee I love with all my heart. I mean, that's you know one we just recently did. Um, that's that's got to be um, that's got to be one of my my favorites. One um, that I will sing, you know, especially with with someone on their deathbed. Um, unfortunately, um, so many of our good comforting hymns are the ones that we've been less familiar with over the last few generations, um, and I think we need to uh, really emphasize them, um, become more more familiar with them. I was going to say, the hymns are such a good teaching tool
2: and how much they stick with people. Right. You know, I've been doing VBS lately, and we're, you know, tra- trying to focus around the, the small catechism mm-hmm. and got onto this theme with A Mighty Fortress. And since I'm doing it once a week on Sundays in the month, we're doing one verse of A Mighty Fortress each week because it's not hard to memorize. It's not hard right. to learn. And it's such vivid language to describe salvation, and years from now, they'll remember that. Yeah, because yeah, I have I have seen that. I, I one of the first experiences of a home visit I had was was someone I can't remember if he, what he was suffering from. It doesn't matter, but here is Pastor going through, you know, the the shortened service and the creed and the hymns, and he remembers them. He he couldn't remember his name or what he had for the breakfast for breakfast that morning, but he remembered
0: all that. And and I think along with that, then the liturgy, which obviously a lot of that is is um is poetry i mean mm-hmm. so much of our liturgy comes from the psalms um and uh i think one of the great benefits uh and i just last week was was uh, visiting um uh, uh, someone who um you know was had some uh diminished mental capacities um and couldn't again same kind of thing right um you couldn't really carry on a, a what you might call a normal conversation but to start the liturgy mm-hmm. to um to speak the confession of sins, um, to speak the creed, to pray the Lord's Prayer, um, the Agnus Dei, the Dimittis. this lady just started like yelling them. Um, and and I mean, it was just her, her husband looked at me, you know, and his eyes just kind of lit up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these things stick. And this is why I think we need to teach them to our children and not let these, so this is going back to the office of father, uh, you know, dads, fathers, mothers, teach your children the liturgy um, pastors use the liturgy, teach your congregations and your little ones, the liturgy, because when they're, uh, 90 years old, uh, in a nursing home, uh, and some other pastor, as, as, uh, Berg said, we're, we're interchangeable. Um, another pastor is going to come along, uh, and use that same liturgy. And that, you know, that person is going to continue to retain it and to have it, even, you know, even if there's not a hymnal in their hand, um, they know it
1: and it gives us the language
0: with which, uh, to confess the faith.
1: Amen. Number nine. Listen to and read good preachers. So. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great. That's um,
0: one of the things I try to do um, each week. Um, and, and here again, you know, Bergie brought up the, the historic lectionary. I think one of the, the great benefits we have with the historic lectionary is that we have those resources from the church going back Generations, centuries. You know, I try to read Luther. I try to read uh, John Gerhard, um, uh, Walther. Um, you know, they're they're very helpful in um, uh, you know, kind of wrestling with a text or or how to preach a text and so forth. And and then again, there's also um, you know, great modern you know, uh, contemporary guys um, using those lectionaries as well.
1: Any other non Lutherans? Maybe you read for preaching? No, no, not at all. No. No, no value in it? Well, there probably is. I just don't have those resources. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sure there. I'm sure there is. It's just, uh, you know, what about you, Berg?
1: Um, you know, I like to read uh, and listen to uh, a lot of sermons. Even if I go a completely different direction, it kind of just gets you into the text, and it's really uh, quite amazing. Uh, I like to read uh, the Godestines magazine that comes out. There's usually some pretty good sermons in that. Um Faith Life from the Protestant Conference, they usually have some really good stuff. Uh, some of the ones that you've already mentioned, uh, one that I've really enjoyed is Seiss, Joseph Seiss. He's a early 20th century preacher. Spurgeon has got some very interesting things to say, even though I vehemently disagree with him on uh, baptismal regeneration. But he is a very clear speaker. Um, even even guys like Gerhard Ferdi, uh, who I vehemently disagree with on the atonement. Uh, if you read one of his sermons, I, I like the way that he he uses very short, powerful, and simple sentences, kind of Ernest Hemingway esque, which I think is uh, I don't know it, it appeals to me in in some ways. And so those are those are some people that I you know like to read and listen to. Um, and there's so many research, Paul Hensel is another one. Um, if people, if you don't have his hardening of the heart and the hardening of Israel, which just came out a couple months ago, uh, and it's on Amazon, it's like 24 bucks. You should really buy the book. Beautiful romp through the Bible with a man who can just make it come alive. So, and he is a protestant and, uh, that's probably a conversation for another podcast so vicar what preachers do you
2: i don't. i don't do enough reading in that regard and i will admit that i don't retain who i'm reading as well as i should mhm I, I i struggle enough just to keep to keep up with with Bull hagen's preaching some days mm-hmm. and i and i am taking notes while he's doing it well but good that's, this does actually does yeah. he give you his manuscripts I made photocopies of a couple of them and decided okay. that was a bad idea. Right.
0: Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he used to give me his manuscripts and uh, yeah. um, you kind of look at him and you're like, yeah, I can't really do a whole lot with yeah. that because, I mean, they, they work great for him, but- uh, I might
2: leave them for the next guy to right, look at right, before he's right. like, here, this is, this is how he does his sermons. Right. But that's been the great advantage with chapel at seminary, sitting there and yeah. listening to the wide variety of how someone approaches a text. And that's, that's what I liked listening to. It's like how- how do they take
0: this and get to, and get to whatever they're trying to teach? Mm-hmm. One, one thing I kind of did early on, um, and I really haven't done it a whole lot recently, but going back to you, you mentioned seminaries, thinking about, you know, uh, homiletics classes and, you know, um, preaching in class or, or reading manuscripts and kind of discussing them. Um, you know, I kind of took that out, um, you know, into the parish that, you know, very often and probably too often I would send my manuscript to somebody else and have them. Read it and mm-hmm. rip it apart, criticize me um, so that I could make it better. And likewise, they would do the same with me. And I think that's a that's a helpful exercise. So I mean, you know, even even our, our peers who are maybe not um, you know published you know sermons published and so forth that can also be a, a good exercise, right?
1: Especially with the proliferation of podcasts and guys uh, posting their their sermons during COVID and the sure. like. There's actually that has been a very nice thing. I know it's led to a lot of other more negative uh consequences that you know we've talked about on the show but I know like for those who use it rightly um, it can actually be a very nice benefit number eight copy good sermons by hand this is one thing that you talked about a homiletics class which is a preaching class one thing that I wish that they would actually add to homiletics is that they would give you a sermon of a preacher that you should try to emulate and that you'd copy his sermon by hand. And I got this idea from uh, a book called How to Think Like Shakespeare. And they go into the, uh, the language of, or the, the educational principles of what Shakespeare and guys of that, you know, milieu would have gone through. And even though it runs counter to a lot of contemporary educational thought, imitation is actually one of the best ways to become creative. And sometimes I think we we spend so much time reinventing the wheel when we could be on a locomotive train or in a car. And so this is something that actually not only preachers should do, but this is what uh, novel writers have done as well. Jack London copied, I can't remember which novel it was, but he copied it by hand in order to get the sense of style from that particular novel. And this might actually be very, very useful for um for uh, look for preachers.
0: So I don't know if this is where, you, you know, I don't think this is where you're going with what you just said, but um, the whole doing it by hand, I think is really, really helpful. And not only just copying things by hand, I think I mentioned this last time I was on here, um, you know, that one of the things Bullhagen uh, had me do on Vicarage was to write my sermons by hand mm-hmm. before typing them out. Um, you know, one of the things I was struggling with at that time is, you know, I was used to writing papers. Mm-hmm. And so my sermons were coming out as papers and not like proclamation. And, um, I've, and I told him the, the last time I was on, I've, I've gone back to doing that. Um, uh, even though I'm not writing papers anymore, um, I, I, to, to write it out by hand. I think there's a lot of, it, it forces you to slow down. It forces you to think, mm-hmm. uh, it forces you to, um, you know, to, to actually, you know, uh, you you have that 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 movement and that muscle memory and so forth as as you're as you're going along and, and riding it and then go back and type it if 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 you so desire or like Pastor Bullhagen doesn't or at least didn't when I was here right he he just had his handwritten handwritten notes um, but uh, uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of benefit just to that exercise alone mm-hmm. um, uh, so. That's what my two sons are. How,
3: how nice of you to think that he may have started typing his sermons. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, hey,
0: best construction. Do, you do know. You, Eighth <laughs>
3: commandment. <laughs> right.
2: I was going to say, do you want me to go out to the, to the side table? I think the, the most recent sermon is still sitting is out it, there, his notes. Is he
0: handing them out? No, they're just sitting there. They're just sitting there. Okay. Yeah. And yes, it's, hand, it's all handwritten yeah. in it. And you look at it and you're going, I don't even know what that word is, right? I mean. What what is he saying
3: here? What do- I think uh, this past week he actually had a couple of times where he couldn't even read his own handwriting and right? uh, misspoke.
0: Th- th- there were times where like things were drawn, right? I mean, yeah. like there were yes. there were like little like doodles, doodles yeah. right? And he knew exactly what they are. But I, you know, I think that um, you know, that that, that uh, aids in proclamation, right? Not just reading. That's one of the things the the book we're going to talk about. You know, he talks about um, um, you know the difference between reading a sermon and proclaiming, mm-hmm. right? Um, a sermon number seven,
1: not overly long. That the sermon shouldn't be overly long. Now let's uh, let's get into that.
0: <laughs> How do you define long? Because I think depending on who you're talking to, you're going to get a wide variety of uh, of definitions of long. What what's your definition of a long sermon?
1: What is my definition of a long sermon? I don't know. That's why I looked at you guys. <laughs> this might be the one that I disagree with Walter on.
0: Okay. Walter's sermons weren't exactly short in comparison to our day and age, right
1: yeah I, I mean the, the dude preached on the average forty five minutes right
0: and that, and that's why I asked the question because um, you know I, I, I won't name names but but there's a couple pastors in my history uh in, in my life history, uh, congregations that I attended um, where their average sermon was thirty five to forty minutes mm-hmm. and um whereas uh, you know I have one dear uh, uh, youth uh, in my congregation who likes to give me trouble for my long sermons when they're on average 12 to 15 minutes right mm-hmm. uh, and so I mean it the the, the the question is what what really is long you know um, whereas uh, you know I've, I've heard great preachers um, uh, some in the Gottesdienst group that you mentioned who preach eight minute sermons that are Jam packed, full of great stuff, you know. Like like t- going back to the poetry thing, you know, being able to, uh, or or even as you you mentioned uh, w- with Ferdy, um, you know, being able to say a whole lot in short phrases, uh, and so those sermons are are short, and yet they're not shortchanged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I heard President Harrison preach at uh, chapel um, just after uh, my class received their their calls, uh, or a good number of them didn't, um, and he preached a very short. Concise, wonderful um, sermon, uh, but it was in no way long, right? Um, but but much was said.
1: So so, so do you think um, the advent? And I've been reading this book called The Shallows. Oh, uh, I need to read that. That's
0: uh, that's up, yeah.
1: I need. And I I've been very interested in uh, this media ecologist named McLuhan, mm-hmm. and some of his critiques of this stuff. He's the guy who came up with the medium is the message and i do wonder if uh, our modern and and i only talk about this stuff cuz yeah behind the collar moment people might be like well why are you looking at media ecologists and doing all this stuff well the reason why i'm doing it is is because like all of these things touch on theological concerns and one concern that i really have is with preaching the third commandment and what our modern um contemporary situation, what is that actually doing to how people receive preaching? Is it any wonder that as our sermons have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter, biblical literacy and Mm -hmm. knowledge of Christian doctrine has gotten less and less and less in the United States? Right. And so I do wonder uh, with this sort of because these, these instruments are really retraining our brains to absorb information in a particular way where you don't really read left to right, but you kind of scan. And I've had people do this with, even I've done it, like with emails or text messages or whatever, and you pull out particular words. Um, and that is not very helpful, I think, in um, hearing the word of God and keeping it. So, do you have any? Uh...
0: Yeah, I think that's. Um, I mean, we we tend to um, we tend to think of preaching and teaching as two different things, whereas preaching and teaching biblically are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I'd, I'd say I've, I've struggled with this question too when it, it comes to well, how do I teach these things when only you know two percent are coming to Bible study. Well, it's the, the sermon is a place that that we're teaching, you know that we that we are that we are proclaiming these things, and um, you know, and then the question is, well, I can't preach longer than fifteen minutes; I'll lose people's attention. So, how do I how do I say these things? Right? And by the way, I don't necessarily buy into that, I, but but that's oftentimes the the, the mindset, right? That, mm-hmm. um, so um, y- <sighs> preaching preaching is teaching, and, and and if 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 we're not if we're not preaching the whole counsel of God. Uh, as we are called to do um, then of course people aren't going to aren't going to learn the scriptures right um, they're going to become more and more biblically illiterate um, and that's not to say that we don't use our Bible study time or Sunday school or you know catechesis times um, uh, to also do that but but that it needs to be done from the pulpit
1: yeah, Pastor Peterson actually says that the place to teach the congregation is in the pulpit. Is in the pulpit, and the place to teach people how to read the Bible is, is in, in Bible, the Bible study, study. That's right. Which I find that to be a fat. I'm not sure if I agree. I haven't thought through I, it all yet. I, but I
0: just heard. I just watched those uh, those lectures here. I don't know, a couple weeks ago, which is why I picked this this book up. Right? Mm-hmm. That we're going to talk about. Um, uh, yeah, that's 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 a. I think it's it's a fascinating point, and uh, I think. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear, you know, why you don't necessarily buy into it wholeheartedly. Because um, um, I, I mean, I'd like to think through it a little more. But I think, I think the 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 kind of the the main point there is is well taken, right? That, um, that flat out, we need to be we need to be teaching more. Our, our sermons, our sermons need to be. Um, there needs to be more, um, more, more teaching going on. They need to be more didactic,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Number six. A sermon ought to be well-structured. Why? Because if they're not well-structured, then you don't know what is going on. Right. And uh, just like everything else in the world, uh, your our sermons ought to be well... I mean, this, this should be common sense, but you'd be surprised. I, and I know the book that you've brought today uh, really engages this topic about people don't think clearly. Right. Uh, if you just get up and blather for... 25 minutes, you can say a lot of nothing. Uh, I've noticed this with uh, pastors uh, outside of our tradition, especially, where they think they're being authentic, and really they're just very, very sloppy thinkers. And uh, there's no way that anybody's getting... If I can't get something out of it, right when I'm listening to it, I, I don't know how anyone else can.
0: Right, right. And, and that, that forces you then to... Uh, you know, going to uh, outlines and so forth structures er, forces you to um, forces you to to speak clearly. Number five.
1: Your sermon ought to be contemporary. It should actually be written for this time and this place. In fact, in some ways, I think that uh, I, I haven't been able to go back and repreach a lot of my old sermons because they're so contemporary that I would have to change the entire thing anyway because they're dealing with specific points uh, going on at that time and place. I mean, that's the way sermons should be. You read a Luther sermon, and, you know, he's ragging on the papists and the monks, and that would not exactly be very appropriate for uh, today. Right. So. Number four. The sermon ought to correspond to the hearer's specific needs. This kind of goes along with being contemporary, right? So if you're in a congregation and you're dealing with divisions— you should probably preach a lot on 1 Corinthians and preach on unity, right? Um, Lectionaries are good in that they kind of give you a path, but there are times when specific needs uh, need to be addressed. Um, And so those are the kind of things that you can use in your sermon. Number three. The sermon ought to uh, address, and not only one sermon, but... The whole counsel of God ought to be proclaimed. You've mentioned this before. Uh, This is what Paul says, that uh, if you just get on your hobby horse and talk about this, that, and the other thing, um, you're not being true to your office. And uh, once again, this is a good reason why the the one-year lectionary ought to be used by really every pastor in our our Senate, not only for unity's sake, but the one-year lectionary is set up in such a way that all the counsel of God can be preached every single year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, you know, you, you go back to uh, what you said before about uh, um, giving the, the lectionary giving a pathway. I think so often um, at least that I've found, and maybe it's completely coincidence, um, but you know, the, the texts that are offered in the lectionary so often are, are coming at a time right when we need, you know uh, whatever particular issue is, is, is going on is, is being met with the lectionary. And it, it really, it becomes uh becomes very useful and, um, I don't want to say easy, but I mean, it's, it's, it tees it up, right? It, it, it provides it right there for you. Right. It's like a
1: T-ball. Yeah. Number two. God's word, uh, is rightly applied in the sermon. And in order to talk about this, and you brought a, another essay as well, um, Walter talks about applying the word of God, because everybody wants application nowadays, right? They want application. You hear that all the time. Well, the Bible actually teaches us how to apply the word of God, um, so Walter writes, thus in sermons, God's word needs to be applied in five ways. Or to retain the Greek terminology with our old theologians, it should be used not only didactically for teaching, but also for reproof or refutation of false teaching, for correction or for chastising sins, for discipline, that is for training or admonition, and for comforting. That when we look to apply the Bible to ourselves— uh, we should go to Second Timothy, three sixteen. We often just use. You were on the the podcast on verbal inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. sure you you guys talked about that uh, um, that verse in the context that you know all Scripture is breathed out by God. But that's usually where we stop. Profitable With, for which which is really sad because right. what is this God breathed text profitable for? How do we apply it? Well, right. we apply it in those different ways that I just mentioned. Um, and uh, our preaching has really, I think, taken a downturn uh, when we no longer use those ways to apply the Bible, but instead we use kind of this very generic m- way of law and gospel. Not to say that law and gospel isn't a good thing and should be used, but I never, I don't think that Walter's law and gospel should be used as a homiletics textbook. That's a uh, that's a soul care textbook. We should actually be using these other ways to talk about it, and you can talk about that later. Um, So, and finally, number one. And number one. That the sermon contained nothing but God's word, pure and unadulterated. Which, if your sermon doesn't have that, you need to find another preacher. Right. So, that is our top 12 list. So, uh, Burns now is going to take Bullhagen's place with... uh, his book study. And so, and he is not talking about the My Pillow guy. So, <laughs> Peter, play the intro. It's book time with Burns. That's right. <laughs> All
0: right. Um, one of the, uh, we mentioned earlier, um, Pastor Peterson um, from Fort Wayne uh, recommended a, a book called Why Johnny Can't Preach. And uh, this particular book, uh, I think, was. What, copyright. Is, it says 2009, um, so it's been out for a while. Uh, I was thinking he wrote it in like 2004 or something. Um, but uh, the, the man here, uh, T. David Gordon, is a evangelical Reformed uh, pastor, um, professor. Um, I believe he's actually attending an Anglican church um, currently uh, in in Pennsylvania. It's really fascinating to uh, uh, to to read a non Lutheran speaking about. Uh, uh, this topic and, and speaking in, in, very, uh Lutheran ways and in a lot of it, not, not completely. Right. right. Uh, he actually does talk about, uh, Lutherans and Lutheran sermons at one point, um, going back to the law gospel, um, uh, question. Um, but really it, it revolves. So the subtitle is the media have shaped the messengers going, you know, again to the, the book, the shallows, which, um, I have not read yet, but, uh, uh, that's that's kind of up there. I need to read read that, um, but so the th- the point is Johnny can't preach. Johnny of course standing for um, standing for pastors, and why is that? And he and he kind of goes through here. Um, there's there's a couple main uh, reasons why Johnny can't preach. Uh, and uh, Bird, you've already touched on these things, right? Um, Johnny can't preach because Johnny can't read. Now obviously Johnny can read, but Johnny can't read texts deeply. Um, we, we are, we are in, uh, we're used to reading, uh, skimming, as you mentioned, right. We're, we're used mm-hmm. to reading in, in such a way that, uh, we're just kind of gathering kind of, uh, bits and pieces, a little bit of information here. Um, but we're not actually, um, you know, as, as the collect for the word, um, praise right that we would read mark learn and inwardly digest that we actually would ruminate on these things uh that that, like a cow chewing its cud uh that we that 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 we're not doing those kinds of things we don't do them um with with literature we don't do it uh with the news we don't do it with the bible and that's a problem Mm -hmm. um that's that's something that we that we need to do um the second part uh, is that johnny can't write um we've we've lost that uh, that 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 ability to actually uh, write things with clarity uh, and and to say what needs to be said um and uh, again I think um, this is not him but kind of uh, my thinking on it that uh, you know that goes back to how are we used to writing things you mm-hmm. know we're used to in our day and age we're used to you know quick texting something with imprecise language uh with emoticons and and so forth and and not actually thinking them through uh or we're, we're used to being able to you know as as you said earlier too um or maybe vicar you said this um to to say you know something with 50 pages of text that we could have said with two if we would actually know how to write and be concise uh, i think he quotes maybe i'm getting this wrong um but uh, uh Somebody, uh, somebody had said, uh, you know, um, I would have uh, written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time, right? Who, right. who was that? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but, but the point is that, that it actually takes the time to actually um, write something um, concise and to the point um, that, that a lot of effort goes into it. Short does not mean, um, you know, easy, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so Johnny can't preach because Johnny doesn't know how to read deeply, um, and, and to, to kind of ruminate on these things to, 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 to think them through, to understand them. Likewise, then Johnny can't, can't write about them. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's some ways to, um, to kind of combat this. Um, and that is for, for preachers to, you know, as, as you brought up in, in the, um, the top 12, um, to actually start, Reading, mm-hmm. uh, and to and to read deeply. Um, one of the one of the, the problems we have again the the subtitle of this the media have shaped the messengers um, that we live in. In in his day he was kind of talking more about the television, um, mm-hmm. um, but of course I think we can throw in there now. Um, you know, the internet, um, our our cell phones, um, all of these kinds of things. That um, we have all these things that are vying for our attention, that are sucking us in, um, that are leading us um, to not think through things or to speak through things uh, clearly and concisely. Um, that uh, that we're just we're, we're becoming in some ways illiterate. Not that we can't actually read words, um, but we're becoming illiterate illiterate in understanding them and and speaking about them. Uh, and so there's some ways to to kind of um, combat this. Um, reading more reading reading deeply reading reading good stuff um, I think I brought my list of uh, suggestions that he had um, kind of said for some um, for some books right or, or some things to combat this um, he, he brought up a, a book uh, of poetry right um, uh he mentioned uh, the best poems of the English language from Chaucer through Robert Frost. You know, to read again, going back to what you're saying, reading poetry, right? Reading good poetry uh, for, and, and in this case, English because uh, we're English speakers. Um, mm-hmm. Not that other poetry is bad, but um, but 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 to actually learn the learn the English language. I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm really bad with. With language, right, um, mm-hmm. and and so this is a, a deficiency in, in in my in myself. Um, the other thing for writing, and this is something that um, I had done just very briefly uh, for an, another reason, uh, but I think it 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 flows well out of our out of our heritage, and that is to write devotional prayers. So an, oh, yes. an exercise mm-hmm. in writing um, uh, is to is to write devotionally, even for yourself. I mean, he kind of talked about a, a, a journal, um, that sort of a thing. But, I mean, uh, you know, you think of Johann Gerhard. Yeah. You know, um, I, I love using uh, his sacred meditations and, um, um, you know, his exercises in piety. Um, but why aren't we doing that more as well? Why aren't we continuing in that train um, to... You know, to and if you read Gerhard, I mean it's just it's just the Bible. I mean, it's just text after text after text which is shaping these prayers, which of course is where our prayers come from, right? That right. That, uh, that that to learn to pray, we need to listen to God speaking you know, to us. It's like a child learning to to speak. They they don't learn to speak by by putting a, a textbook in front of them. They learn to speak by, again, fathers and mothers speaking to them uh and, and to imitate them and to to take what is said to them to speak back. Uh, and uh, so I think this is a, a great uh, a great way to, to kind of work on that that writing ability. And as you're doing that, um, you know, writing devotional prayers, I mean you you're able to, to think through uh, you know what it is that you're praying about and not just kind of um, rambling on. But to actually think through and to wrestle with what what are we what are we praying for what what is the Bible telling us, mm-hmm. um, what are we what are we learning from our Lord, um, so it, it's a it's a very this this book is a very um, it's a, it's a it's a short book it's you know like a hundred pages or something hundred and eight pages uh, it's a quick read the types big the space is big I mean it's not a it's not a um, it's not a book that is intimidating at all and I think it would be uh, helpful for non-preachers as well in uh, because that's the other aspect of this, too, is is there is a um there's a responsibility not only on the part of the preachers, but also on the part of the hearers. Mm-hmm. And I guess that goes back to the preachers, right? that that um, pastors should also be teaching um, the 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 people how to listen to a sermon, um how to actively listen. That's another thing that we that we've lost, right? is uh, our inability to actively listen to something. we We passively listen. We let, you know, sounds kind of flow past us but we're not actually. Engaging them in our own minds and thinking about them, and, and I think we need to um, we need to teach that more. I've not done a great job of it, um, you know. i would be the first to admit that, um, but it's something that that I think we need to take up as well. He gets into kind of content a little bit. Um, he's not a Lutheran, um, uh, and yet so much of what he's saying here. Um, I think he's like, you need to preach about Jesus. That's what he's, that's the thing, right? (laughs) And and Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's like, this is, and and I think this goes to show one, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but I think it applies. Um, one, one of the things I tell my congregation is, is one of the things that I want to, to stamp out, um, is this idea that Missouri Synod Lutherans teach that they're going to be the only Christians in heaven. And ironically enough, um we have a teaching that's the exact opposite
1: of that. Absolutely. Right?
0: And so never, ever, ever have we officially taught, perhaps some pastors have said things like this, although I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, no, they didn't. Um, never have we taught the Missouri Synod Lutherans are the only ones who are going to be in heaven. They're the only ones who have ever proclaimed the gospel. No. And and this guy, you know, this this man, and, and he gets into some Calvinistic Lord's Supper issues a little bit. He kind of touches on it. And obviously we have a, a very different um, understanding of uh, of the means of grace and the Lord's Supper. Um, however, he keeps saying we need to preach Christ and Him crucified. We need to we need to stop. Do, he really hammers on the how-to sermons. Uh, he kind of goes through like four. Uh, bad ways of of preaching, uh, how to moralism, these kinds of things, uh, and and all along the way, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, these these are not ways that we should be preaching. He keeps coming back saying we need to preach Jesus, and we need to preach Jesus in the Old Testament. That the Old Testament is about Jesus, and why and why could, do we have agreement in this? Because this is just Christianity. It's right. Just this is what Jesus has said. Right. And this is what Paul has said. We preach Christ in Him crucified. Um, and and I think you know, there's there's a lot for for all Christian preachers, um, to 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 gather from that, right? That um, who are we proclaiming? We're not mm-hmm. proclaiming ourselves. We're not proclaiming moralism. We're not, um, um, you know, we're, we're preaching to the redeemed and we're feeding them Christ. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And I think this is especially important to him because when he wrote this book, he was undergoing cancer treatments right. and he wasn't sure if he was going to live or not.
0: Right. And and there's, there's I mean, you know, this is where the cross uh, that is laid upon us um, really forces us to bring things into clarity, right? That, that uh, what is important, right? What's important is um, the forgiveness of sins, is the, the atonement, is the fact that, um, you know, Christ has redeemed us uh, and, uh, you know, delivers um, this to us through the proclamation of the word uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and through the sacraments. Um, that he, he feeds and nourishes us. And I think this is something else with the, the pandemic um, that uh, I hope we've learned is what, what really is important here, um, that uh, we're not in control of the things we think we're in control of. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet God is. And what has God given us to be uh, about? What is he, What has he given us to be concerned with? in this life at all times, whether we're in a, uh, a pandemic or not, um, it's his word, it's the gospel, right? It's, um, the, the, the people of God always need, um, his gifts. And, um, um, they're not, um, they're not replaceable. We, we can't just set them aside and say, um, you know, we don't need this or this or, is, this or is too not dangerous a, now or, or they're not essential or they're not essential. Right. Because they absolutely are. Um, and uh, I think he really you know, he really speaks to that point um, in, in the preaching of, of Christ there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. We really appreciate it because this is I mean it is a great book. I loved it. It sounds like you loved it too. The only thing I would add to this book and, and things that pastors should read, um, I don't know if you've seen Dr. Ben Mays's uh, blog posts mm. um, from uh, Lutheran Orthodoxy, his blog on Blogspot. Uh, he actually goes through how our fathers uh, studied the Bible. And they had a cursory way of reading the Bible Mm -hmm. and a very in-depth way of reading the Bible. And they were doing both of these things at the same time. Their cursory way of reading the Bible was reading two chapters in the morning and two chapters in the evening every single day. And you went through and you summarized each chapter in five words or less. I think this is one thing that preachers need to do is to take the time to read the Bible every single day. Every single day, year in, year out, two chapters in the morning, two chapters in the evening, and then try to sum them up. And just living and breathing the scriptures in this way, making it part of your daily diet, uh, I think a lot of these things—because our fathers weren't smarter than we are in terms of raw ability— they just had way better ways of studying the Bible, and we've lost all that.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I think um, you know, part of part of it, and and I don't mean this to be a, a scapegoat, uh, but is you know, our our modern day, uh, we've been conditioned um, to um, to kind of look at tasks uh, and and cranking out product. Mm -hmm. right? And if we're not cranking out product or if we don't have something tangible to hang on to at the end of the day to say, I've accomplished this, um, we look at our day as as a waste of time. And you and I have talked about this privately years ago of, of, um, you know, that uh, of of reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, even not to the end of producing a sermon or a Bible study or whatever, um, that that really is a major component to the pastoral office and which makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's so simple that it's kind of like a no duh statement, but I think it's also so simple that we forget about it, that, um, um, we are, we are proclaimers of the word of God. And don't you think we should probably be reading the word of God? Right. Um, and what? At, right. And, and so here again, we have, we have something great to learn from our fathers and, and to, um, to reshape then how we look at the, the day-to-day
1: activities, uh, in our study, um, uh, in what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, our producer is telling us that this podcast has gotten overly long, just like sermons shouldn't get overly long. So, thank you for listening. Um, so, if you want to contact us about this, where can they find us, Vicar?
2: They could email us, feedback at clericalerrors.org. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash errors podcast, and Twitter at clericalerrorsp.
3: Adam,
1: bro. So, <laughs> yes, Adam, <at him>, bro. <laughs> So thank you all for listening. I'm Berg. I'm Burns. And I'm Vicar. And may your sermons be short.
2: (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at Clerical P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.